Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome to Making America Strong Again. The only program dedicated to inspire you and to inspire a nation. With stories of American exceptionalism and national restoration. Join fellow patriots as we rediscover our past, reignite our future, and celebrate America now. Welcome to Making America Strong Again. This is Steve Olds. It's my privilege to be with you today from our studios in South Florida like to give a quick shout out to many of those who are now downloading our podcast off of Blog Talk Radio as well as iTunes and those that are listening through the iHeart Radio app coast to coast. Really appreciate you being here today. It's been a tough week in a lot of ways. One of the challenges with coming off a tragedy like we have in Orlando is that it causes people to ask a lot of questions. Just like coming off of the 9-11 terrorist strike, now we have 15 years later, a new generation of people who are asking similar questions. One of the challenges for a lot of people is that when they begin to ask the questions, the context that they are asking those questions in is their own personal experience, especially for those that are younger folks. They've not studied history or been exposed to many of the experiences that Americans, even their parents and grandparents have had, so that they can understand what the real choices are. This is compounded with the challenges that we face right now in today's political environment where we have a very rabid political process where everybody is trying to drive an agenda and many of them are full of half-truths. So how do we begin to discern what's real and what's not real? And part of the way that we need to do that is by looking back, by looking at American history in such a way that we can understand decisions we faced in the past and understand how that applies to where we are today, apply those lessons, and then be part of the good citizen activity that helps to drive the best solutions for our country. Because if we are all about making America strong again, part of that strength must be protecting our nation. It must be protecting our fellow citizens. It must be about protecting Americans. And as I've said countless times throughout the time we've been on the air, we don't look at Americans with hyphens. We focus on the fact you're either an American or you're not. We can have our disagreements about political issues, about religious issues, about whatever it is we want to disagree about. But the fact of the matter is at the end of the day, if you're an American, I stand with you. If you're an American, I want to make sure that nobody takes you on and nobody takes you out. So right now, as citizens, as we look forward, it's time to take a look back and begin to get some structure around this. And to help us do that, I have a very special guest with us, a gentleman who is a number one New York Times bestselling author of a book called The Patriot's History of the United States. Dr. Larry Schweikert, welcome to the program. Thanks, Steve. Good to be back. Good to, good to have you here. Larry, one of the things that you've made a career out of 
is understanding history and context and helping people really see the truth in the history. In other words, pulling down the pieces, pulling it apart, and then helping people understand it. You did it for almost three decades or over three decades in the classroom, helping young people understand it. We talked briefly over the last several days about the pivot points that we faced in American history in the late uh, 1850s when Congressman Lincoln was debating Stephen Douglas, pursuing the whole idea of becoming a senator and, and looking at America in a very divided way. How do we begin to understand the chaos that's going on in America, and where do you begin to try and pull things apart and help us piece it back together? Well, you know, it, it's easy to get uh, uh, over uh, hyperbolic here to, to engage in too much hyperbole in terms of, uh, you know, a nation at war and we're, we're in a civil war and that, that kind of thing. Um, in the 1860s, we were actually shooting at each other, and we had two parts of the country um, that, for the most part, were entirely divided. Uh, you had a few pro pro-slave uh, southern supporters in the north, and they were known as copperheads. But for the most part, the north was for union and, to a lesser extent, for the eradication of slavery, and for the most part, the south was for the perpetuation of slavery. And they were shooting at each other. Uh, I, you can go back to the American Revolution, and again, the sides were actually shooting at each other. The um, Tories, um, who supported King George and Parliament, uh, were actively fighting against the um, uh, revolutionaries, the colonists, uh, who wanted independence. And then there was a third group, probably about the same size as the other two, so we're divided into thirds, that, that didn't care one way or the other and wouldn't support one side or the other, which is pretty much the way it is in almost any conflict. So to put things in historical perspective, we're certainly not there yet. Um, where we are today is we have a very significant and profound outside threat. And roughly 30% of the people um, understand and appreciate that threat. About 30% of the people have their heads in the sand, don't want to have anything to do with it, just hope it goes away. And then about 30% of the people are trying to redefine that threat as not a threat. And and this is where we are today. It's, it's a, a huge problem, big, big social dividing line. And, uh, you know, we'll see where this falls out. Larry, you talk about the one-third, one-third, one-third balance. That was the same way before we signed the Declaration of Independence, wasn't it? It was exactly that way. I mean, studies have shown that... Uh, that uh, independence was won really by about one-third of the people. And by the way, an overwhelming number of those one-third were uh, Protestant Scots-Irish or uh, Scots-Presbyterian. So it, it was really a, a subgroup of, of one-third that did a, a lot of the fighting, especially in the South. So, Larry, when we look at history, one of the things, and, and I know Abraham Lincoln talked about the idea of being united, and when we look, for example, at our, our time in World War II, it is a stark contrast in the 20th century of what happened when America got united behind a war effort and the, the productivity and the things that happened right now. All of that happened within four years, which 
is really kind of mind-bending when you when you think that was 70-plus years ago. Um, how do you see it from a historical perspective and the importance of unity and, and where we are and, and what, what we could really expect in terms of unity? Because obviously not everybody's going to be singing from the same soapbox, but how, how do you see that? Well, certainly the nation was, was more unified then. Um, the press was much different then. The press was patriotic and pro-American. I don't think the media is patriotic and pro-American today. I think they they are um, perpetually critical of the American structure and system. Uh, they're part of the problem. Uh, so the, the media was on the same side for the most part, in World War II. Another big difference is that uh, Franklin Roosevelt, whatever differences people might have with him over the New Deal, Roosevelt understood that we were at war. And he had uh, censorship, he imposed censorship, and uh, you know, wartime measures, and, and led the way. He was not afraid to call uh, the tyrants of Japan tyrants and Bushidoists and you know, radicals and he was not afraid to name the Nazis as an enemy. And, um, you know, early on in December 1941, just, a, you know, what, uh, a couple weeks after Pearl Harbor, he met with Churchill, and that early they decided that the war was going to be to unconditional surrender, total victory, that they weren't going to have any peace treaties or halfway uh, measures until the enemy was completely defeated. And... And so we are completely lacking that kind of leadership now. So when you talk about, you know, the ideology that was both Nazism, that was also very militaristic on the Shinto religious side for Japan, you're saying that that was actually a condition of surrender. And so we took on an ideology in those cases, didn't we? Two of them, yes. And in fact, um, when MacArthur uh, became the... Um, uh, occupying uh, general in charge of Japan, uh, he essentially told the Japanese, you're going to be allowed to keep Shintoism, but the two absolutely have to get rid of the Bushido element and, and this militarism and, and the notion of a uh, uh, dominant people. Uh, it was called Yamato Damashi, uh, that, that uh, they were the warrior leaders that all other people should be subservient to. He says, that will go, and, and we're not even going to discuss that. And so, um, you know, uh, the, the idea of jihad and Islam, one of the first goals of any sensible administration would be this whole notion of jihad has to go. That, that uh, you can be a Muslim, but you're not going to be able to accept that because that runs contrary to everything we appreciate and love and know in the West. And obviously, over the last uh, 15 years, well, actually longer than that, we have plenty of examples of that radical Islamic terror uh, being targeted at us, and that's uh, that's completely unacceptable. So, Larry, when we come back from the break, one of the things I'd like to do is take your historical perspective, and, and let's look at an example of history in a different context. If something in the past could be taken another direction. What, what can we learn from that process? And let's give us an example. And we'll be right back. Making America Strong Again is brought to you by Patriot Mission. To learn more about national restoration, get free resources at www.makingamericastrongagain.com.
This is Steve Schwartz with PDGo.com. We've been in business for over 15 years and have created over 1,000 websites for clients across the USA and across the world. We help our clients have a custom, affordable website, and we teach them personally how they can very easily update the information on their websites themselves anytime they want to without being a techie. Take a look at pdgo.com and see samples of our work and testimonials that clients have said about our service. pdgo.com. Again, pdgo.com. At SurfPro of Vero Beach, no job is too big and no question is too small. So when fire, water, or mold damage strikes your home or business, call on SurfPro of Vero Beach at 772-770-0501. That's where you'll find a team of specialists that's faster to any size disaster. So when the things that matter most are on the line, make sure SurfPro of Vero Beach is too by calling 772-770-0501. That's SurfPro of Vero Beach, helping make fire, water, and mold damage like it never, ever happened. Franchises are independently owned and operated. Hi, this is Kelly Fisher, a supporter of the Making America Strong Again mission and your local real estate professional here on the Treasure Coast. It has been my honor to serve our community here in Vero Beach since 2003. And with over 1,500 home sales over the past 21 years, it's my hope that you will consider the Kelly Fisher team at Treasure Coast Sotheby's International Realty for all your real estate needs. It's also our desire that every family has a home and every home has a family. And we have partnered with the Homeless Family Center of Vero Beach to work toward that goal. When you buy or sell a home with the Kelly Fisher team, we will make a substantial contribution toward alleviating homelessness in our hometown. To be a part of this great mission, please call us at 772-321-6905. Welcome back to Making America Strong Again, the program dedicated to inspire you and to inspire a nation with stories of American exceptionalism and national restoration. Once again, here's your host, Steve Olds. Well, thanks again for being with us today, folks. We've got a great show with Dr. Larry Schweikert, who is not only a number one New York Times bestselling author, but he's a filmmaker. And he's just published a new book called Halsey's Bluff, which really takes a look at what we discussed in the first segment about a historical experience that was pivotal in World War II and begins to look at it from a different vantage point. What if things were different? What if Halsey actually was driving the midway fight instead of being laid up in the hospital? So, Larry, tell us about Halsey's Bluff and how can we uh, learn some lessons from that now? Well, of course, anyone who is familiar with World War II history knows that in the uh, early spring through early summer of 1942, things were bleak. And and it looked both in Europe, where the Russians were on their heels on on the outskirts of Moscow, uh, the Germans had almost taken Moscow, and in the Pacific, where the Japanese had not been stopped at all and uh, had just marched across more territory, capturing more people, than any empire in human history, it looked like these two forces were unstoppable. And and yet we now know that just a, a month later, by June, uh, the the Nazis were, were reeling backwards uh, under new Russian attacks. And uh, after the Battle of Midway, we know that the Japanese couldn't even hope to win. It, it, they may drag it out a little, but uh, they lost their, their force. So I looked at the battle... Uh, from the perspective of what would have happened if uh, if the Japanese had won the Battle of Midway, and I put 
Halsey instead of Nimitz in charge of the force because Halsey is known as this very aggressive admiral who was, you know, kind of like a George Armstrong Custer type. And uh, Yamamoto and, and Nagumo play on that aggressiveness and lure him into a, a trap where the Japanese uh, utterly destroy the uh, Pacific fleet with the exception of uh, one carrier that escapes. So it, it's, it's an interesting what if, and uh, I'm not going to give all the details. People can obviously <laughs> read the book and get the, the drama and the excitement there. Um, but it's always easier to look at a single battle, for example, as a changing or pivotal point in history, say Waterloo, than it is to look at something like, well, what if Lincoln had not been assassinated? Uh, uh, what if he had moved a little bit before the Derringer was fired and, and John Wilkes Booth missed? Uh, what then? And that's harder to say because you're looking at, at a number of factors that would come into play, all sorts of other people and so forth. Um, so, you know, what if things are, are, are always fun for the historian? And as long as you can keep it contained to something that you can pretty much manage all the variables, it's, uh, it's very believable. So, Larry, let me ask you this question. And obviously I re recommend going to Amazon and, and picking up Halsey's Bluff. One of the things that is important, especially as we're dealing with a lot of younger people that may not even know there was a battle called Midway, they may not understand anything about history because, as we've talked about so many times, and you lived, the historical perspective is a little different. What Tell us what it's like. I mean, you taught young people for decades. What What is what is it like right now trying to explain, if you, if you had to... You're sitting right there with those young folks trying to help them understand in context where we are in America, the challenge with jihad, getting some getting some understanding about the decisions that we have to make and, and being able to look through a lens of history at it. How do you how do you recommend that? Well, you know, you have to start early and and it's like, you know, early and often. Brush your teeth early and often. <laughs> and and you can't just pick it up in, in college. I found uh, quite often that um, uh, my students had had little or no history training uh, when they got to, to college. And uh, probably the most common comment I would have would be, gee, I really hated history until I had your class. Well, that's sad. Uh, people ought to love history. History is just alive. It's exciting that the people of the past and, and the the events in the past are just terrifically exciting, and that, that needs to be uh, brought home to everyone. I saw a news article today that a school district is, uh, is getting rid of its math course in favor of diversity training. Now, you know, what are you going to do when schools stop teaching basic elements? Um, and so when I speak to my students, the, the key for me, was to always make it a story. Uh, to tell the, the Battle of Midway, it was a story. To tell us the history of the Civil War, it's telling a story. And everyone likes to hear a story. And so, uh, to me, the key to being a good history teacher was always making sure that you told it as a story. So for the folks that are raising young kids or maybe grandparents that are bringing up young kids, uh, how... Obviously, they can engage with video, and, and kids like short, sweet videos in this day and age. Is that a good way to start introducing stories? And, and how do we make sure we get the right videos, not the revisionist versions? Right. No, you have to, um, 
Uh, today's generation is a much more video-oriented generation, although they do read on screen quite a bit, but they don't read books. And this isn't the first time that's happened. Uh, in the early 1800s, there was a massive shift away from book reading to newspaper reading. Um, so these kinds of things aren't always permanent, but um, uh, I think video is key to all of that. I mean, uh, our video company is is more or less dedicated toward, as we say, uh, making pictures that Hollywood won't make and making sure that what we do make can be translated or broken down into smaller video clips that are easily accessible uh, to, you know, digital devices, handheld devices, iPods, phones, that kind of thing. You know, Larry, it's also important, if you can, to be able to actually go have an experiential uh, learning process where you go to a place where history happened and you take tours and you get guided activities, especially if it's history that's still young enough that there were people who were there when it happened. Is that part of your recommendation? Oh, yeah, sure. I mean, uh, we've been to Gettysburg and the Alamo, uh, the, these kinds of, uh, you know, the Custer Battlefield, these kinds of things are are very useful uh, to put yourself kind of in the shoes of the, the people who were there at the time. If you're at Gettysburg and you stand at uh, Cemetery Ridge and look across at Seminary Ridge and, and just try to imagine 15,000 men walking that one mile under gunfire, it, it's mind-boggling. And, and so, uh, and my students uh, very much, too, uh, agree that many of them have, have visited Gettysburg and they're all struck by kind of some of the same things that I was. It's pretty amazing. We took our kids, we uh, we homeschooled, actually, strike that, Nancy homeschooled, and I I was the, the principal. And uh, one of the things that we like to do is take field trips, and, and we got a chance to go to Gettysburg with a, a good friend who was an expert in that environment, and just, it, it was mind-bending, and it's not something that you could ever replace with simply a book. The book came alive after we were there. The video came alive. So... One of the other experiences, and, and we have a, another a minute or so uh, before we wrap up, but tell us a little bit about the, the uh, Rock and the Wall film. That's kind of a, a unique way to look at history, and it's one that we're going to be spending some time on the road this year promoting. Yes, we made that in uh, 2010, and um, it's a 80-minute documentary about how rock music helped bring down the Iron Curtain, interviewed rock and rollers on both sides of the Iron Curtain, plus witnesses who were affected by the music, and uh, it, it's just gotten a tremendous response. I think we've had 14 reviews, and all of them have been positive. It's won the Dove Foundation seal of approval for family-friendly entertainment. And um, what I think is the strength of Rock in the Wall is the fact that it combines excellent storytelling about how music played a part in winning this war with... Uh, good history. I mean, Mark Leaf, my director and uh, co-producer, wrote a tremendous uh, script here that really links all the elements of the Cold War in with the music. You don't really expect rock and roll and Cold War in the same sentence. So it sounds it sounds like a pretty amazing uh, amazing movie. And, and, and full disclosure, I've seen it a number of times and, and excited to be able to use that as a tool where we can go into local communities, where we can bring leaders together that are interested in looking back at history and looking at the way we can hopefully influence things, because that's really what happened. One of those underlying elements, and as you talk about music, really made some big changes, didn't it? 
Right, and it appeals to everybody. It appeals to uh, uh, younger people, older people who live through the music of the age. Um, it appeals to people who live be- behind the Iron Curtain. We find that immigrants are very much affected by these, uh, by the scenes that they see there. Larry, in the, about the last 30 seconds or so, if you could give parents some advice, how would you coach them on engaging, especially the younger kids or grandkids, so that they don't show up in the college class with no clue about history? Well, uh, you have to spend a little time with them. And, uh, you know, historical videos like Gettysburg or the Alamo are, are, are good good videos. I, I love this series that's on right now, uh, Washington Spies, Turn Washington Spies, which is, a, um, you know, has some dramatic license there, but... But it's very much uh, accurate in terms of some of the the tensions that we're pulling at, uh, at townspeople, ordinary people, and patriots uh, back a, in the American Revolution. Dr. Larry Schweikert, thanks for your time. All right, thank you, Steve. Making America Strong Again is brought to you by Patriot Mission. To learn more about national restoration, get free resources at www.makingamericastrongagain.com. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.